Evil 1-1, we have a visual on your position. We have enemy movement 300 meters to your south. Enemy troops in the open. Small arms and RPGs, you are clear to engage. Roger, Evil CP, we are TIC. I say again, we are troops in contact, requesting air support. Stand by for call for fire. Solid copy, troops in contact. Be advised, air is red at this time. Repeat, air is a no-go. You're on your own. Dig in and give them hell. Give them hell. Give them hell. Welcome to the Dogs of War. Hosted by Stephen Houston. What is up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Joint Forces Canine. Joint Forces Canine is a all-in-one stop for every single one of your dog's needs. Mobile grooming, world-class seminars, police and working dog sales, and board and trains for pet dogs. Check them out. Joint Forces Canine. Podcast is also brought to you by Alpine Arms. Alpine Arms is a veteran-owned and operated training source located in Eagle, Colorado. They specialize in training opportunities from pistol, rifle, night vision, tactical medicine, long range, and they offer the Colorado experience while doing so. They can be found online at alpinearms.com or at 50 Chambers Ave in Eagle, Colorado. All right. Also want to give a quick shout-out to Sean Edwards in the Deadpool Decoy School. Sean travels the country, putting on seminars and teaching people how to be PSA, protection, and police decoys. Check them out. All right. My guest today, along with my co-host, Stephen Anamarchi, is a uh, badass. He's a pipe hitter. He's an American hero. I named my dog after his dog. So he's a Navy SEAL, and he was on the Osama Bin Laden raid. Pretty fitting, because we recorded this on 9-11-2022. So this guest's name is Will Chesney. He was on the Captain Phillips mission and the Osama Bin Laden raid, and he was the canine handler of Cairo. Fucking badass. We had a great time. Hope you guys enjoy it. Much love. Check out Joint Forces Canine. From basic to advanced training, Joint Forces Canine offers Arkansas's best dog training services. Whether you want to get your pet up to speed on basic obedience or are looking for more advanced training such as specific odor detection, personal protection, competition and trial prep, service dog training, and more, the professionals at Joint Forces Canine will help your dog become the best that it can be. Joint Forces Canine is veteran-owned and offers all levels of training for pets and working dogs on their 20-acre dog training facility, which includes kennels, an indoor training arena, a pro shop, technical ponds, a trial field, and an agility course. Contact us today for more information and a free evaluation. You can also learn about our boarding, grooming, and working dog sales. Joint Forces Canine www.jointforcescanine.com or call 479-802-0775 jointforcescanine.com 479-802-0775 Alright guys, we are live. Today's a special episode. Um, Steven's the co-host as usual. Uh, We are recording on 9-11 which definitely changed the course of my life, so I want to make that known. And uh, we have a really special guest on today. Uh, I'll just give you a hint. I named my dog after his dog. He's the baddest of the baddest of a seal. And uh, 
Yeah, his, his first name starts with a W, so I'm just going to pass it over to you, Mr. Will. Give a quick little intro to uh, who you are and what you, you know, your background. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I think today is a pretty fitting day to, to discuss certain things on this podcast. But uh, my name is Will Chesney. I'm a former Navy SEAL. I served 13 years in the Navy. Um, during my time, I was at SEAL Team 4 and Naval Special Warfare Development Group. Um, throughout my career, I've had a lot of great leaderships, had a lot of great jobs. Uh, one of those jobs was becoming a handler, a canine handler. My canine, his name was Cairo and, um, I was very fortunate to have Cairo. Uh, the, I was very fortunate in a lot of ways. I got to partake in, a, in not only hundreds of missions with great guys, but, um, some pretty famous missions. I, I got to participate in the Captain Phillips mission. And I got to participate in the Osama bin Laden mission. And I say all the time, the only reason I was chosen for that mission was because of Cairo. I was replaceable. Cairo, he was not replaceable. He was a, I was very fortunate to have that dog. He was one of those plug and play dogs. He, uh, he actually ended up sticking around for a long time after like, Hey man, let's get him retired. Let's get him retired. But he was, um, you know, dogs go down overseas, dogs go down in law enforcement and you need a spare dog sometimes. And he was just one of those plug and play dogs that they just kept, they kept him around because he was a badass. And yeah. So I was very fortunate to have him. Hell yeah, dude. Um, before I hand it over to Steven here, um, just glad to have you on. It's an honor. This is cool. I, uh, wish I would have, uh, gone into some more specialized shit in my time and, you know, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but, uh, yeah, thank you for what you've done and, uh, taking the time to be here. It means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And Will, you touched on it being 9-11. How fitting is this, right, to have? And we were actually scheduled to do this before, and our schedules didn't match. So yeah. it is sometimes it just uh, God knows what he's yeah. doing, putting things together for us. So yeah, I was uh, watching Fox News this morning, and they were just showing the towers. And it was, even after so long, it still hits me so hard. Yeah. Where were yeah, you? Can you? Sorry. Yeah, I was about to ask that question. <laughs> go, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Give us the, the rundown, Will. Where were you? Um, yeah, the, the whole the whole thing. I remember there's a lot of things. I was blown up overseas. I got a little bit of TBI. It's, it sucks. I, 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 there's a lot of things I forget these days. And that's one thing that I, it is clear as day, I've not forgotten. I was in high school, and I remember being in the library at high school and seeing it on a TV in the library. And, uh, yeah, man, it's just one of those moments I'll never forget. I I remember how we all came together as a country to go get rid of those fucking turds. And that was, um, you know, such a tragedy. I guess that's like at least one of the good things that happened from it was seeing, seeing everybody unite. And, um, another thing I like to touch on is, uh, after we killed bin Laden, I kind of, I don't know, man, maybe I was just a little naive. I didn't realize what we saw after we killed him, we got to turn on the TVs Sorry, uh, the fire alarm, fire alarm, <laughs> smoke alarm. <laughs> there, it is. there you go. But after we killed him, it was, um, we turned on the TV again and I remember sitting there with all my guys or all the guys and surrounded by a bunch of badasses with his body right there, watching the president address the nation. And then just seeing the country come together again like that was, uh, it was epic. It was, it made me, it made my heart happy. I wish it would have lasted longer. Hmm. 
but it's just good to see the country come together again, especially these days when things seem so divided sometimes, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I, I was uh, on the bus on the way to eighth grade um, in middle school and my bus driver was from New York and he had the radio on like super loud. He never had anything on. And then I, I was like cool with him. We got along. I don't know if I was a nerd or whatever, but I sat behind him most of the time and we would bullshit the whole way to school. And I remember him saying, you watch, something's going to come from this. And then we got to school and I saw the second tower come down live. And, uh, you know, from that point forward, I was like zoned in on, like, like I got to go to the military. I want to, you know, like, dude, fuck, fuck these people. <laughs> like you're going to attack yeah. us. And that, that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. But, um, where did, uh, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Southeast Texas. I grew up in a, small trailer park in Southeast Texas. It was a, it was a nicer trailer park, but it was still a trailer park. I couldn't wait to get out of there. There wasn't much to do. You know, it was like, what do we want to do today? Play basketball, go to the mall or do drugs. It's uh, like, I wish I would have had like a swim team or a wrestling team in high school. And I don't know, but I, I was, I had a good family. I'd, that was, you know, great, but I could not wait to get out of the trailer park. And I joined the Navy, man. What is it? What's the saying? It's an adventure. It's a journey. I don't know. Whatever the Navy motto is. And it really was. It was one of the best things I ever did. It was, it was great. My, my, the Navy world, right? That's what they say. My, my dad, uh, sorry to cut you off. My dad, uh, lived in a trailer park, but it was on the Gulf in Florida. And we had like a, we had a boat that you could take out of the water on the dock and go in. And I remember just being so embarrassed for like my friends at school to see me there at this trailer park. And, you know, so I can definitely relate. Yeah. <laughs> Good old trailer so, park. <laughs> so, Will, you talk, uh, a lot about your upbringing and how it's kind of shaped you as a human, the way you kind of think um, the book I'm referencing is no ordinary dog, by the way. Um, can you talk about how growing up in a rough situation may shape you and kind of help you overcome some of the things that eventually you had to overcome as a seal, you know, going through buds and, and so, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I just, I wasn't handed everything in my life. I got to see that. I mean, some kids in my school were handed things and given nice, fancy cars and trucks. And I'm glad I didn't. My grandparents had a little bit of money and they could have given me whatever I wanted, but I, I didn't. They wanted me to grow up the way they thought was proper. And I had to work for my car. So I played football in high school, of course, being from Texas. So I played football a little <laughs> bit and uh, wasn't great at it anyway. So I had to quit and get a job. I joined the workforce program in my school, which means I did half days. Mm. So I went to school half of the day and then I worked and had to pay for my own stuff. And, um, it just, I saw that I, I saw it in football practice one time. I remember some of the kids were more athletic than me and we were running bleachers. And I remember the coach pulling us all over. He threw me under the bus. He's like, man, why are you letting Chesney beat you? Like all the, <laughs> all the athletic guys, he's like, y'all aren't putting out. He's like, at least he's putting out. He's giving it a hundred percent. And it was just kind of one of those things of like, and if you just put out and work hard, you, you can go a long ways. And like, there's, there's stuff that I didn't want to do. Um, before joining my, one of my biggest fears is heights, man. Oh. Heights. <laughs> so uh, before I left, my dad used to do construction on cell phone communication towers. Now I love my dad and love my family. I had a great family. Uh, I wanted to spend some time with him and I figured, well, shit, it's a good way to not only spend time with my dad. It paid a lot better than my cleaning dishes at the local restaurant. 
you know, it was a good way to see if I could get over one of my biggest fears, which is heights. And I did it, man. I, I worked with him for a few months before leaving the boot camp. And man, it was it was terrible, especially working with my father. I'll I'll never do that again. <laughs> that was a terrible choice. It was a terrible choice. That's a whole nother podcast alone. I love <laughs> but working with him, he's a yeah, it was not the best situation. But I, I did it. I got up the tower, I, I overcame my fears and I pushed past it. I mean, like, what do you want in life and what are you willing to do to achieve it? Kind of thing. I, I agree. It's the same thing with dogs. And, you know, as a dog trainer, like you got, you have to put these dogs into stressful situations and let them work through it and, and show them, you know, like the, you don't have to be scared here. And I actually went to work. My dad was an electrician or is an electrician. And I think I was 15 and, uh, it was summertime in Florida and he made me pull wires through an attic in, in Florida just to fuck with me and like, dude, you don't want to do this. And I pissed blood the next day and I never went back. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. But so I, I actually had a fear of heights too. And I'm now, uh, an avid rock climber. And so is my wife, but I remember funny story. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to say his name, but, uh, we, they told us, Hey, tomorrow you guys are fast roping. We're going to do fast roping training. We're going to go out of 53s and we're going to go out of Ospreys. So I didn't fucking sleep, bro. I was so, I was like, dude, this is bullshit. And, uh, the next day we had this Corman. Um, I don't know how much I want to say here live. Well, let's just say he had his issues. Um, I remember him, dude, he took like a couple of pills of ecstasy, like as we were in stick lines to get on the fucking the birds. And I remember, look, I'm terrified. I look back and his eyes are all big and he's <laughs> laughing and fucking dude, he fast roped on ecstasy. And then it was like the first time through the hell hole getting kicked down. Cause my saw got hung up on it and you know, the body armor. And then I like, after that, it didn't bother me. Didn't bother yeah. me. Did, was there any experiences, you know, with you coming up in the special warfare teams where you faced something that was like extremely like, uh, man, I don't want to fucking do this, but then you did it and you kind of worked through it. Well, I thought you were going to talk about my ecstasy experience. <laughs> <laughs> we can. <laughs> Every day. Um, uh, jumping, man. Jumping. I remember being static. Static, that just sucked, period. Yeah. Static, unless it was a water jump. Some of the, the only static jump that I actually somewhat enjoyed was the one we did in Coronado, and it was a static line water jump. Because mm. other than that, man, I remember I was supposed to get 10, and I got 9 because the last one I did, I hit the tarmac so hard. <laughs> all my friends were coming over. Like, they thought somebody, they thought I got messed up real bad. Like, I remember them sprinting over at me, and I, I had torn a hole in the back of my cami shoulder. Like, literally, it ripped a hole in my shoulder and it chipped all the paint off the side of my helmet. I hit so hard. Oh, wow. That didn't help with my TBI, but I was like, yeah, man, I must have hit pretty hard if everybody's running up. It's a bunch of seals. Like, <laughs> nobody cares. Like, I must have hit pretty hard for a bunch of guys to come running over to check <laughs> on. How hard did I hit? And I look and I'm like, damn. But um, jumping, man, that, that would keep me up. I don't. I'm not a big fan of heights. So, and, uh, I, I, you know, not only can I mess myself up and get a horseshoe malfunction, you know what I mean? You know what a horseshoe is? That's where it gets wrapped around your leg or some other piece of equipment. And yeah, it can turn real bad real quick. That not only that, but I can also, you know, kill somebody else. And that's what really like, Hey man, if I mess up, I not only can kill myself, but kills, I can get somebody else killed. So those jumps, some of the underways that we were doing, you got to hook and climb on ships. Oh, some of the sea state gets pretty uh, squirrely. 
let's just say that. I mean, we shattered a couple of poles. You got to get these poles to, anyways, I don't want to give away too much stuff, but we would shatter some shit because the swells would come up so high that it was pretty gnarly. And we would do it though. It's like, yeah, surrounded by a bunch of badasses, and we still like, hey, we got this. I don't give a fuck about this sea state. We got it done. We all got up on the thing, and it was a, uh, it was a little sketchy, but man, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I remember we we uh, fast roped onto the deck of our we were on an amphib like an LSD ship on a Mew, and it was the same thing. And then in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be like training. We're gonna be like 70 feet off the ground, but like it was so fucking low, like it was it was nothing. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, what do we like? I could jump out of this fucking helicopter right yeah. now, you know? But it was it was cool. It was definitely cool. Oh man, so will. What else you got going on right now, man? I know you you had some life changes, big stuff happening. What what are you willing to kind of let our audience know about what you've been up to lately? Uh, well, yeah, I wrote the book on Cairo. So right after the Bin Laden mission, the first name that was released in the media was Cairo. I was still active. We had a couple other guys write books, and I read through them. There was nothing sensitive in them. I didn't really... At first, I was a little worried, but after reading through them, I'm like, oh, no, these guys did fine. And I was like, well, and I never really thought I would write a book. Like I said, I was still in. I had zero plans. And then just over the years, like people started coming out with articles, nothing major, but I would. I saw this article where this dude said he had Cairo. What? So, yeah, yeah, it was weird. He's like, yeah, I got Cairo. They did a legit article. And I don't know if I kept it or whatever, but it just pissed me off. I'm like, it was all fake. Some people say he had like titanium teeth and this and that. And that was a very historic. I usually say pretty historic event to be sarcastic, but that was a very historic event. Like it's a piece of history. Yeah. And for all this shit to come out on my dog, who not only was on that mission, but he also was shot before the Bin Laden mission and almost died saving us. Like I'm not going to let his legacy go down like uh-uh. that. Uh-uh. Just read these bullshit articles and some fuckface says he has them. Like I'm good. So after being out of the military for a little bit, it just kind of dawned on to me, like, why don't I just tell Cairo's story properly? And I had some help doing it, and I'm very happy with the product. You know, it was uh, kind of painful along the way, and I learned some lessons along the way. But overall, the book, I am uh, I love that dog. He was a good dog. I'm very happy with the product. I think it's well told. I think it does him justice. So these days, I try to tell people about Cairo. I don't like to talk about myself very much. I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm saying I worked hard to get where I was. I came from the trailer park. I worked my ass off and I got to one of the top tier units. It was great. But once I was in that unit, comparing myself to everybody else in that unit, I'm really not shit. Just being truthful. You know, people are like, Hey, don't say that. I'm like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm like, I was just keeping up with some of the best motherfuckers in the world and it wasn't an easy job. So I'm not here to talk about myself comparative to everybody else. Like I said earlier on the Bin Laden mission, I was easily replaceable by any single person on that team. The dog was way more valuable than I was. So, uh, but no, no, don't get me wrong. I worked my ass off to get there, and I worked <laughs> both of those guys. Hell yeah, so, no, and and we're definitely going to get into that. And and I appreciate the 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 silent warrior stuff. And um, no, that's awesome, dude. Um, well, if so, I'm going to sit here and talk about it, I might as well just try to be as truthful as possible. You know, of course, so, and you know, like. I used to do it the platform of the dog. So I get to get you sit here and talk about the dog all day long or dogs. We had many wonderful dogs. We had yep. dog teams that did a lot more shit than me and Cairo did. We just happened to be on the big mission. So, uh, if you read the book towards the end, I, I, I got blown up in 2012. I 
lost some, some very close friends of mine, had my hair fell out, had my hair fall out a couple of times, had my fingernails fall out. I was dying slowly. I was drinking myself to death. My team leaders were looking at me, everybody on the team just looking at me weird. Like I used to be a high functioning individual. Next thing you know, they're like, they see an ambulance outside the hotel and they, they're worried that I'm dead inside kind of thing. Cause I'm drinking and I wasn't doing so well. So I use the book as a platform to try to help veterans and anybody, any, any first responders. Cause we're not the only one that's the only ones that go through trauma. So I use the book as a platform to get people's attention. And I try to talk about brain health and kind of the rough things that I went through and doing much better these days, but it was pretty rough there for a bit. I shouldn't be here. Honestly, I really should. I'm not just saying that I should be, I should be dead multiple times over. Yeah. I've definitely gone through, uh, struggles myself kind of still am some on, on certain levels, but, um, you know, like I, like I told you before I started, like the reason I started this podcast and in the beginning, it was only veterans was to have guys like you on guys like me, guys like Steve, uh, you know, and tell their story and, and be brutally honest and, and, you know, hopefully somebody out there that's listening to this is like, fuck, man, that guy's gone through what I've gone through or similar. And, and this is the path or the steps that he's taken to, to, you know, heal on, on whatever level. But, um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not a big book reader. Uh, I'm ADHD, you know, whatever. Like I'll pick a book up and I'll fucking read it for like three pages. And then I'm like, dude, butterflies. So is there an, is, is there an audio book version of, of your book? There is. And okay. I narrated it. I nice. can also call you at night if you want to talk and I'll read it to you. I'll read you to sleep. <laughs> yeah. no, I narrated it myself. I, I went into that with like, yeah, this is going to be fun. This is going to be pretty. No, it was not fun. That was quite the task. Let's say that. Like I said, I grew up in a trailer park. I'm not the s- smartest person ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. Yeah. Anyways, it was quite the task. Well, <laughs> so to just kind of back up a little bit and then we'll dive into all this stuff coming up, Steve. Um, just one question before we switch. Steve and I kind of like to do a back and forth, but um, when, when, like what, when was the moment you were like, I want to go into the military and then how and why did you specifically choose? Like, I want to go into special operations to be a SEAL in the Navy. It's a good question, man. I can't really put my finger on it. I think it's like middle school, maybe early high school. It's like I'm, I'm joining the military. And I was a kind of fat kid growing up in a trailer park in Southeast Texas with nothing going on, man. Nobody really believed in me. And I believe in myself. Sometimes I don't. Like you said, we all struggle with certain things. But once I find that thing, I'm, I can be... I can be pretty persistent. So once I decided I wanted to join the military, I decided I wanted, I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve my country. I want to be, I want to be a seal. I want to be some sort of special forces. Uh, I love the water. I'm a huge water person. That was yeah. it. Yeah. I love the water, man. You can't keep me out of it. And I heard that seal training was some of the hardest training in the world. So I'm like, here we go. This is it. Nothing's going to stop me. Nobody believed in me. You know, I'm sure my family didn't. They were, probably bullshitting too. Like, yeah, sure you are, but no, I'm kidding. But nobody believed in me, right? Like I believed in myself and I knew what I wanted and nothing was going to stop me. It was one of those things where sure, if I, I show up and I fall off the old course and I break my neck and I die, I, I don't give a shit. Like, this is it. I am going to be a seal and nothing's going to stop me. I mean, if, unless God has other plans and I get injured to where I physically am not able to complete the training, this is it. And that's, that's out of my hands. Right. But that was it. I don't know. So I'd say probably around middle school is when I decided and that was it. It was game on. 
there's no looking back. So, Will, in, in your book, you do a really good job of describing what Bud's training was like. And to the point where, you know, I'm reading this and it's I also heard the audio version because I had the hard copy. And that's nice, but I also have a somewhat of ADHD. So hear, hearing your voice in my head, for me, was a better way of listening to this, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but you talked about, like, was it the sugar cookie? Was that was that what it was called? Yeah, I got a I got a sugar cookie story. I'm gonna let you tell yours first. So yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. I'm listening to this right, and I'm not a military guy, and I can appreciate how much detail you put into how awful that whole situation was. If you can give our audience who are not part of the military who have not heard your book yet, just a brief description of what that is and and how that was like to experience. I can definitely do that, and I got to give a, sh- a shout out to the guy who helped me write the book, my brother Joe. Joe Layton, he he did his research and he he dove in and he helped me explain things very perfectly. But a sugar cookie is where you go get wet and sandy in the ocean. So you run sprint to the water, the surf zone. You fully submerge yourself in the surf zone and then you roll around in the sand and you completely cover your entire every single inch of your body. And I can remember, I can remember, I see people half-assing it. And they come back and they didn't do their face or they didn't do their back or they didn't do their, they didn't do a lot of body part. And good, good luck with that dickhead. As soon as you get back, the instructors are going to see it and guess what's going to happen. It's you're only making things worse. So don't half-ass it. So you sprint your ass to the beach, sprint. Don't walk out there. You better get fast because it pays to be a winner. That's another saying in Bud's like you better put out because if not, it's all, it's all your reputation is everything in the teams and everybody's watching you from day one. And if you're going to half-ass everything, then you, there's just no reason for you to be around. So a sugar cookie is you sprint to the surf zone, get completely wet. You roll your happy ass around in the sand until you're completely covered from head to toe in sand. And then you sprint yourself back. And then you were a sugar cookie. <laughs> I got a funny. So we had this, um, we called them dark green marine in boot camp. There's no colors, right? You're either a light green marine or a dark green marine. Okay. He was like, he looked like chef from South Park. His name was Tucker and we're at Paris Island and it's the morning that we're going to the rifle range and uh, we didn't have water nearby, but like they fucking smoked us, uh, you know, on the quarter to everybody's all sweaty. And I remember they told us to be a sugar cookie and we we're in the sand pit at this point with the, you know, the sand fleas and all that. And he's doing it and he's half assing it, dude. And I look over and one of our drill instructors looked identical to Arlie Ermey, and he had a fucking stack, dude. And he was a sergeant, and like he got busted down, infantry guy. I looked yeah. over; he was pulling his pants and his underwear up by the belt and throwing handfuls of sand down this kid's underwear. Like an hour before, we're supposed to go to the shooting line for the rifle range. Same thing on his shirt, like everywhere. And uh, yeah, that that was kind of like an eye-opening moment for me to be like, hey. Gonna fuck around. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it my all, you know. That's it, man. <laughs> what sure. was, what was the closest point that you ever came to quitting, but didn't when you were going through the buds pipeline? Not a chance. Never, never. never. Was, not really, man. I remember being at a, at a rundown to these cages. It was during Hell Week. It was crazy. Hell Week's, you know, five and a half days, no sleep. Will they just be the show? It's where you lose the majority of your guys is during Hell Week. And I remember sitting there. We had a rundown, pretty long run, and we're sitting at these call them elephant cages. And it was in between evolutions where they're beating the shit out of us. And I remember sitting there eating an MRE and I hear the bell ringing while we're eating. And it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, why the fuck are people quitting now? Like we're not even doing anything. We're eating. 
were eating and people are just constant ringing the bell and ringing the bell, but it was hell week. So it was pretty constant. But, uh, one time I thought about quitting was the, we had to do a two and a half nautical mile ocean swim or two mile nautical ocean. I don't know. It was long. Mm. Hell week was the best sleep I've ever gotten in my entire life. This two mile ocean swim was no, it was what a no, sorry, not two mile. The two miles were normal ocean swims. It was a five and a half nautical mile ocean swim. That's what it was. Oof. That was the, what am I thinking? Two mile timed ocean swims were all the time. Five and a half nautical miles. That was the second best sleep I ever got in my life. So for some reason, I didn't know that the five and a half mile time the swim was timed. So swimming was probably one of my, I was running. I got it all day long. Swimming was one of my weaknesses. You know, I wasn't bottom of the pack, but uh, I wasn't top of the pack. That's for sure. So it sucked for the, for the four mile time runs, easy day. I got this all, all time for the two mile time ocean swims. It was like, I forget how long they were. It was two miles of pain and kicking for me. So when it came to the five and a half mile swim, me and my swim buddy, we, we put out, but we didn't put out like super hard. I remember at one point during the swim, we saw this seal. We were swimming through the kelp beds and we were having a little bit of fun and we were still doing it. And then we saw this seal come up and swim beside us. So we chased him for a little bit and he'd follow us and we were having fun. And then we get to the end of it and we cross the finish line and the instructor lets us know that, Hey, we didn't pass the time. And I'm like, what the fuck? There was a time. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, I didn't even know there was this thing was timed. I thought it was completion. It's like, which one of us wasn't paying attention. But so, uh, they're like, well, you're going to be doing it the next day. So, that was, that was quite the task, man. That five and a half mile swim was, it was a good one. So we wake up the next morning and I'm just hating life, man. Swims were my, like I said, runs all day long, but swims, I'm like, fuck. So we show up, we wake up, of course, you know, it's still dark early as fuck. We get up and, uh, before every swim, you do an inspection, you, you stand there <clears throat> right by the surf zone, holding your equipment out, your knife and your they inspect your life jacket and all this stuff. And I'm standing there in your fins, your mask and I'm getting inspected. I'm just hating my life. <laughs> and like, all right, everybody, there wasn't a whole bunch of us, you know, maybe 10 guys. I'm like, all right, everybody go get in the surf zone. It's still dark. We're going to start this thing nice and early. And on my way through the surf zone, I lose one of my fins. Oh. Uh, and of course I'm not going to say anything. So in my mind, he was like, you know what? Here we go. Like, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to complete it anyways. So in my mind, I was just thinking like, I'm just going to go until my body physically cannot go anymore. And then eventually somebody, there's safety boats. There's always safety's first. Somebody will come over and hopefully my swim buddy will save me from drowning, but I'm just going to kick until I can't kick anymore. And then when I lost my fin, I'm like, well, fuck, I'm just going to kick with one fin until somebody comes over and stops me. So that was my, I wasn't, I sure as shit wasn't going to go back on the shore and be like instructor. Not only did I fail the swim yesterday, I also lost one of my fins. Please help me. Yeah. That's going to go over real nice. He's probably going to just beat me up right there. <laughs> so as we're making our way out to the surf zone, I'm hating my life. I'm just like worst. One of the worst days of my life. We're, we're on our way out and they, they recall us back in. So we're on our way back in. And as we're coming back in, my best friend, Jared, he's like, Hey man, I, or anybody lose a fin? <laughs> I grabbed my fin. I'm like, holy shit, how did you find that? I grabbed my fin and we get to the instructor and he's like, we're not doing it again. You guys are idiots. 
go get ready, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, so it went from being one of the worst days where I'm like thinking maybe I should quit or I'm just going to just kick until I die or they pull me out. I don't know what's exactly going to happen. I knew it wasn't going to be a good day. It was going to be a shit day. I went from that to, it ended up being a great day. It wouldn't be a, a really awesome day. <laughs> so yeah, there's that story. That's probably the closest I came to quitting. That's crazy. So there's, there's a lot of Hollywood stories out there. A lot, a lot of movies out there, if it will, that, that kind of try to depict, you know, Bud's training and hell week. Is there any movie, any Hollywood movie that gets it close to being right? Did you see something and be like, man, they did their homework there? It's a lone survivor. You know, it, uh, it hurts to watch that movie. Mm. But um, I think they did a good job. What about but, uh, Saving Private Ryan? I know it was yeah. way before our time, but. Right. That's way before our time, but I think they did a good job. I don't know how accurate, but I mean, I think it was a, it was very well done. I, I don't think the troll would have let them get away with the bad product. You know, so, you know. Have you ever seen Fury? Yeah. Brad Pitt, the tank movie. Yeah, yeah. When when the house gets blown up and the one the the boot realizes the girl died and then the guy's like screaming, "This is war!" Like I don't know that I always get choked up on on, on that. It's been a minute. I need to watch that again. Yeah, you should watch it again. Yeah, it was a good one. So when when you're, you know, realizing like, hey, I got this, I'm getting through this, um, how did graduating from Buds feel? And then where did you kind of trajectories, which team, like like how does that look? You know, I'm a Marine. I don't know anything about the the SEAL teams, but when you when you're coming up to graduation, how does that feel? And then where was your first uh, assignment after that? It was one of the best days of my life, man. So I don't give a shit about graduating high school or anything else. Graduating SEAL training was, that was it. That was um, so November 21st. I can still remember the day. It was like, yeah, this is, I can't even put it into words. I met um, some of my best friends. You know, I made a lot of friends in the teams as well, but I made some of my best friends going through BUDS and, it was quite the experience. They make you earn it. Obviously it's six, seven months. It's a six or seven month selection process where you better prove that you want to be there. You be the way I look at it is you better be willing to sacrifice your life for your brother. Cause you're, you're going to go into combat most likely. So you better be willing, not just, you know, you better not be there just to be like, yeah, I'm a Navy SEAL and I'm going to go write a book like, like I did. Cause I'm a dickhead. But <laughs> <laughs> You, you're not there to just just put on the trident and say you're a seal. You better be there to work. You better be there to lay down your your life for your brother. You better be there to go save another American. You better be there to to do your job. So they definitely make you earn it and they put you through the grinder. So um, it was a quite the bonding experience, you know, going through all that with a great group of guys. You know, I grew up in a trailer park with some some of the people. I don't talk to very many people. I have like maybe two guys I talk to. Everybody else is either dead or doing drugs too. I mean, I'm sure some people, you know, are doing well these days, but for the most part, I didn't have great friends growing up. So going from that to surrounded by a bunch of guys like that, it was like, man, yeah, this is, this is it. This is what I want to surround myself with. Iron sharpens iron. And that's who I want to be around is people like this. Yeah. Well, who was the first person you called when you got out of training? Let's say, uh, so Hell Week, that's the biggest, one of the big, once you make it through Hell Week, you know, you have a couple of, a uh, couple guys don't make it or you don't pass like you go through some diving and some 
land warfare phases. So after Hell Week, I, the first person I called was my dad. Um, I, I ended up calling him and I told him I quit. <laughs> he, he didn't believe me. <laughs> I was like, hey, I just quit. It's okay. He, goes, he, he didn't believe me at all. He's like, yeah, no, no, I, yeah. So that was pretty funny. After Buds, my, my parents actually came out to the graduation for Buds. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I remember graduating Paris Island. It's only three months, maybe three months in a week. <clears throat> and uh, my grandfather, who's a big role model in my life, he was a you know hard ass, turned my life around because I was a piece of shit. Grew up in Florida. My mom couldn't quit me from smoking dope and skipping school and hanging out with turds. It happens. So <laughs> I, I volunteer, volunteered myself to move to Chattanooga in Tennessee to go live with my grandfather. And he was a... We did 28 years with Chattanooga Police Department, narcotic, you know, the whole nine fucking hard ass. Like I came home high once and he punched me in the face and I fell on the ground. And he started kicking the shit out of me. And then I uh, made straight A's. I did varsity wrestling, varsity football and uh, kind of turned my life around. But I remember it was a big he I saw him visibly teared up when I was graduating and the, and the feeling that that gave me like I just got through this and um you know, seeing him like that. Do you have any kind of, uh, you know, uh, coincidental stories or like, did, you know, did you make anybody proud? Like, or you know, do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, my, my family was definitely proud. I mean, they wouldn't have flown out if it wasn't, it was, um, they were very proud. I wish my grandparents could have made it out. They were just getting a little bit older and they just couldn't make the flight, but everybody, everybody was very proud. They done. Um, I had to kind of keep my job pretty secretive after that. I wish I could have, told them more stuff that I did, especially my grandparents by the time they passed and I started actually talking about things like I couldn't talk about Captain Phillips. I couldn't talk about Bin Laden. I wasn't able to, I didn't say anything when I came home. I was like, what do you do? I'm like, stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I, I never said anything. I, I didn't get to fill them in on anything. They're, they're not here anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure they, you know, up there looking down, Kind of, kind of know. Those are proud moments, man. And I know you, you joke around, Will, about, you know, being a douchebag about writing a book about it, but it is American <laughs> history, man. I mean, it's how else are guys like me supposed to be aware about those really important things? How am I supposed to know about Cairo? I mean, no ordinary dog gives me an insight on all those things. And it just makes me appreciate everything that you have done. I know you don't like to be the center of attention. I get it. I get it. Uh, but you know how special Cairo was and some of the other dogs that you went on missions with sound like absolute oh, badass dogs, man. There's some badass dogs, man. There's a saying in the book. I remember being in the team room and somebody said, Hey, raise your hand if dogs ever saved your life. Everybody's hand went up. Like not only did that, not only did everybody's hand go up, just guys started telling stories. Like everybody had at least one story, if not multiple stories. Like you remember when Balto did this and Falco, I mean, shit, I got a dog Falco tattooed on my arm. Like, you know, like these dogs are not only part of the team, they're part of the family. That's yeah, man, there's plenty of epic dog handling stories. Me and Cairo were just one team that got lucky enough to be part of a famous mission. There was a lot of dog teams out there that did a lot of great work, a lot more than me. But no, I, you know, everybody always says all, every SEAL comes with a book deal. So I just kind of feed off of that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, who was your first dog? And then uh, any kind of cool stories you care to share about badass shit that dog did live bites, catching squirters, anything like that. Yeah. So on my first deployment with my squadron, when I got to development group, there was a dog named Falco and 
talk about little problems <clears throat> going into barking holds and you know that comes in handy in some places but overseas in afghanistan that will just they're just going to shoot your fucking dog so mm-hmm. that's obviously not going to fly uh Falco had the switch man he he was a you know, he wasn't one of those asshole dogs. He's very lovable-ish, pretty much. You know, you know, he's a fucking attack dog. So watch your, watch your step around him. But for the most part, he had that switch where he could turn it off. He was lovable. You could have him around the guys, play with him, and turn it on. And he's a monster. But we we had problems with him going into a bark and hold. And I remember the guys talking about it. Like, man, he, he, if he does that again, we're just gonna we got to get rid of him. We're going to give him to a department where they can use him because he's just going to get blasted. And there's no reason to just get a dog killed because this doesn't make any sense. So I remember, I remember hearing that. And then I remember hearing a couple nights later where it clicked and Falco picked it up. We're like, I don't have to bark and hold anymore. Hmm. And then he literally became a monster. Like he was destroying people. I remember he came in, the guys were at the end. I, I got stuck holding this. So like, I don't know, let's see. I gotta, we're not going to be on video. So we're in this courtyard. I'm on the right side holding on this little mud shit animal pen. I knew what it was, but I had to hold on it because you just never know what's in it. And on the left side, I'm also holding security long for all these rooms where I know that's where all the people are. But my guys were all over there stacked up and they were clearing methodically. And I remember you're not supposed to watch the dog work. You're supposed to hold security, but I'm, I'm doing both. <laughs> I see Falco go into a room and he literally huckabucked and huckabucks where he's, you know, jerking back. For people I don't know, he's jerking back, jerking back, jerking back. He drugged this dickhead out of the room that wouldn't come out and he just drug him all the way back to the train. It was epic, man. He was a beast. And uh, another night, I remember the guys come back and talking like, uh, he found this guy, he, he fled from us and he went and hit out in the field and Falco ended up going out in front and he found him. And they say they could see the guy's legs flying over the tall grass, just back and forth, back and forth. He was literally throwing him in the air. I'm like, yes. So he, uh, he moved past that bark and hold pretty quick and he became a great dog. I was, uh, <clears throat> on that deployment is when I was like, all right, I see the vibe. So, I worked hard to get where I was. I didn't ever want to get left behind on a mission. And I learned early on that if I got certain schools and I made myself valuable, that I have to go on the mission or I'm more likely to go on the mission. Like, Hey man, you need a comms guy. I'm like, well, I'm a comms guy. Like, you know, he, I got this call. I, you need, you need somebody to fill in here. You need somebody. So on my first deployment there, I just saw the value in the dogs and I love dogs. Just like I love the water. I love dogs. Um, if I had the opportunity to save somebody's life, not only just mine, but one of my teammates life, but by, by working a dog, like not only that, but I make myself more valuable and the dogs go after the bad people and you get to shoot all the bad people. Like it was, it was, it was all in for me. So, uh, I was on that deployment. <clears throat> I expressed that I wanted to be a handler and it was immediate. Like, all right, cool. Uh, as soon as we get home, you'll be going to handler school and uh, you'll be getting Falco, which was awesome. But, um, right before we were about to return home from that deployment. So we were out on a mission going after two guys hiding. It's about like a normal night. Uh, two bad guys, they go out, hide in the ditch. They're all loaded down, ready to ambush us. Falco goes in and engages one of the guys, gets them to show their hand. Uh, but unfortunately, his, his buddy just starts shooting Falco in the side. We get up just in time to kill those guys. I wasn't there that night, but, uh, hearing this from my teammates, 
I mean, there's no telling who would have got injured if not killed that night if it wasn't for Falco, but Falco didn't make it. So, I mean, it was right before the point. Damn. So, Damn. yeah, I mean, it happens. It's their job. It, it happens. But um, he did save, I would say, I would say he saved somebody's life that night. If not, definitely somebody would have gotten shot. So uh, I ended up getting Falco when, I mean, I ended up getting Cairo when uh, we returned home from that deployment. Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time um, focusing on the relationship between a dog and handler. It's one of the things that I really try to, to, you know, get younger guys who are handling dogs for the first time to understand the importance of pack instinct, that bonding between you and the dog. You guys are in a unique situation where that dog is not only bonding with you, but your teammates, the guys who are going on missions with you. That's very special. And we don't have a lot of opportunity on the police side for that to happen. You know, I have patrol guys come and train and, you know, they pet the dog while the dog is biting, you know, someone in a suit. And we simulate that to the best of our ability. But you have this really amazing story about Cairo leaving a baby at one point and shooting across. Can you tell us that story? Because every time you tell it, man, I get chills because I think it's such an important part of that. And it leads over to how important that that is that pack instinct yeah no and i wish you guys did i wish you had that bond i was uh, i was his father and everybody else was his uncles the way we looked at it if i were to get shot and i go down somebody better be able anybody better be able to go pick up that leash and handle that dog even the asshole dogs who will come up and, and mess you up you just give them basic commands everybody should know how to work that dog period because if i get shot what are you going to do on one of those high drive dogs that will eat your ass like you're just going to leave him. You're not going to leave him. He's the teammate. He's, he's my kid. He's my, he's, a, he's our, he's our family. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish, yeah, I, I'm glad. I love to see it when you guys do come together and, and work it together to everybody's comfortable with the dog. Everybody should know this is where the med kit is at for the dog. This is how you handle the dog. If I get down, da- if I go down, this is what you do. And not only grab the dog and get him to a safe spot, shit, grab that dog and go back to work. You know what I mean? Uh, but as far as the night, the baby, Oh, man, Afghanistan's weird. There's some pretty shitty people over there. Um, but we were out one night. We do a thing called a call out where we call everybody out of the building. And I guess this lady was told to leave her baby or she didn't give a shit about her baby. It's fucking weird to me, man. I, don't, I, can't, I still can't even wrap my mind around this, but they left. We called everybody out of the building. And then usually the people that don't come out are the bad guys. <laughs> It makes us easier. Like, okay, if you're not coming out, obviously you're, <laughs> we told you, like, you're going to die. We're going to do this. I think what they, what she was doing was leaving the baby in there because they knew that we send dogs in. So the baby would get bitten by a dog and it would just look bad for us mm-hmm. and get money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, who, who does that with a human life, their child's life anyways. So we did the call out. We weren't able to see the baby because he was wrapped up in the bundle of clothes and we sent Cairo in. And there was a bad guy. So we go in, there's like a little kitchen or shitter right in the middle entrance. And then there's a room to the right, a little mud room to the right, and a mud room to the left. Cairo goes in, he goes right first. And we, we're looking, we're watching through the window. And we see him around these, these blankets and he's just sniffing around, but he doesn't do anything. And a lot of the dogs will pick up blankets or pillows and they'll just grab them with their mouth and shake them and then move on just to do it just because they're mountain balls. They're high energy dogs. You know, this is what they do. I don't know. Ask them while they do it. <laughs> but he's in that room and he's sniffing around, but he doesn't grab anything. He doesn't touch anything. And then he immediately 
goes from that room and shoots across into the other room and grabs a bad guy that wasn't complying. And he ended up, we didn't, we didn't end up smoking that guy, which he probably ended up should, should have ended up getting smoked, but he wasn't combative after the dog got a hold of him. But, um, yeah, we were able to, 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 to question him and find out where more bad guys were, but it was crazy, man. The, we went in, we, we cleared after behind, we cleared behind Cairo and we found that baby in a bundle of clothes where this fucking stupid chick left her kid in the room trying to, I don't know what she was doing. What was your reaction? What was your teammate's reaction when they realized that Cairo had left this baby and shot across and got the bad guy? I mean, everybody loved Cairo. (laughs) (laughs) I love Cairo. Cairo really was. I'm, we had a lot of great dogs. We had a lot of great dogs. There are some dogs that are very high energy that are not, they're still great dogs are working, but man, was hard to live with. Hard to live with. You know, it's just like people. So everybody's different. Every dog's different. Um, we had a lot of great dogs on our team, and Cairo was one of those dogs where I, mean, I don't know if he just knew the baby wasn't a threat. He just knew not to grab those blankets at the time or whatever. But everybody, nobody was really surprised when they saw that he didn't grab the baby, which awesome, awesome. It is awesome. Um, do you, was there any stories of dogs that you personally work with or know? you know, personal handlers that had like the, the, the high energy dogs that you talk about and, and the hard to keep dogs that you talk about. Cause one thing that bothers me in society is when they put these fucking movies out and they show Malinois, but they're like doing backflips and climbing up on two story walls and people run out and buy these dogs, but they don't understand what that means and what that comes with. Is there any kind of story you can share of, uh, you know, something going wrong within the dog and the good guys? Yeah. There would be guys stacked up at the doorway ready to go. And they send the dog from behind the stack. Obviously, you're not going to be number one, man. Mm-hmm. They release the dog. And as the, as the dog's going by the one and two, man, he'll just, bam, hit him in the calf. <laughs> <laughs> just give him a good couple of punctures. <laughs> it's like, dude, why the fuck did you do that? He's like, I don't know, because I can. Because yep. fuck you. That's why. Keep him so on our toes. Keep you on your toes. Um, <laughs> In our squadron, we try to, to to not have that. I mean, just it's just all handler, squad, team preference. But um, yeah, man, I'm, that's the one bad thing about writing the book. It's a big piece of history, but just people don't need to go out there buying mountain walls that don't need mountain walls, man. If you have the time and the knowledge and you're willing to put in the work, they are the best. Some of the best dogs. They can be such a good tool. And people. I consider my dog service dogs just because I can sleep better at night. Yeah. My, my wife asked me all the time, like, how do you sleep like some, through some of this stuff? Like, because we have two Malinois. Like, <laughs> I know I can sleep well because if anybody comes through that door, they're going to give me enough distraction to, to wake up and do what I need to do. Exactly. So, yeah, man, don't buy a dog. Don't buy a, any high-energy dog. Always do your research before. Like a Husky. I remember having a Husky when we were growing up. We should not have had a Husky. As a kid, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven, eight years old, maybe. I don't know. Old enough to remember. He was in the backyard, and I remember watching this dog pull a tree out of the ground, root and all. He grabbed that tree, and he would just huck a buck and just pull and pull and pull. And he pulled the whole, I remember the ball of the root and all the tentacles coming off of it. And I'm like, that dog just pulled that entire tree out of the ground. And I'm like, yeah, because we should not have a husky. <laughs> yeah. Why? That, that dog needs a job. 
The dog needs training. The dog needs work. He's going crazy. He's literally pulling trees out of the ground. So, and that, yeah, buy a dog like that. Not only is it going to mess up your house because that thing is going to destroy your house. Mm-hmm. He's also probably going to be a liability and that's on you. If your dog bites somebody and they'll do it quick. There's nothing like a well-trained Malinois though. There's it? nothing like a well-trained Malinois. If you have the time and you're willing to put in the work or spend the money to have somebody put in the work, Man, there's some great dogs. So, Will, you and I had a chance to work together. You came up to uh, North Dallas, and we had some SWAT teams get together, and we wanted to have our our patrol dogs kind of get integrated into those SWAT teams. And, uh, by the way, all those operators had no idea Will was coming, so it was, a, it was an awesome surprise to be like, hey, yeah, Steve is here. They know me, whatever. But to, to have you there, man, it was such a cool experience. And you were able to – yeah, it was so cool, bro. You're able to sign every single, uh, you know, a book to every single one of those operators. And um, yeah, so I have to show you pictures, man. Those guys were cheesing so hard for those pictures with Will. It was great. <laughs> it was really good. And of course, I, I, I introduced him last and I gave his bio and everyone, every one of those operators looking around like, who the hell is he talking about? Because most of the guys I think understood that was your bio. Uh, but finally, you know, I put your your name in big, bold letters at the top. Y'all helped me welcome Will Chesney. And you were just sitting there chilling, dude. And I know everyone started to get up and started clapping and it made you feel so uncomfortable. And you turned red dude. in the face and it was awesome. I'm just a dude pretending to be a dude dressed like another dude. I don't know. <laughs> God, man, I don't know. All you motherfuckers are pipe hitters. Like, we're just operators. Let's just get to work and do it. Like, I'm not. Well, you, you did a lot for us that day, man. I mean. It, you bring a lot to the table, right? So not only do you have no no ordinary dog in the book, but you know you're doing things like helping local law enforcement agencies and guys get um, tactfully sound and everything they do to be safer. Um, we spent a lot of time integrating these dogs into SWAT, and when we took our time, I mean, I felt like I wasn't sure how much we were going to get done that day. But can you kind of give our audience an idea of what that day looked like and what you saw? Um, what may be different on the law enforcement side and, and just your kind of sense behind all that? Yeah, it was like, I like that slow progression. A lot of guys want to dive in too fast mm-hmm. and I don't think that's the proper way to do it. I think just getting guys comfortable around the dog, like we were talking about earlier, just medical stuff alone and just how to send the dog through the stack, getting the dog comfortable around the stack, getting the dog comfortable with guys flowing, getting the dog comfortable with, shooting painting the picture for the dog painting a clear picture for the dog because if it's too much Hmm. it's just going to be bad training so i love the way you're a very smart guy and i love working with you and everybody was on point that day and you don't always get that and i'm not just saying that that was a great day of training and it was just everything it's like baby steps you crawl walk run just like we did in the teams and that's what you were doing you were just painting a clear picture you can't talk to the dog like hey buddy this is the this is the agenda for the day this is what we're going to be working towards it's like no you have to physically paint that clear picture for the dog and you did slowly and then finding the dogs that need work in certain areas and the dogs that are able to progress faster and and then just like getting the guys comfortable and then just doing iteration after iteration after iteration and watching evaluating every run and then just being honest with your debriefs. Everybody puts it all out on the table. That's one thing that we did in the teams. It's like, man, I really fucked up bad this night. <laughs> and I don't want to say anything, 
but that's the first thing we did. You make sure you put your kit away. You make sure your, your sensitive items and your kit are put away and you immediately, there's no eating. You go right into the debrief room and you put it all out on the table. Like there was one night where I almost stepped on something. It ended up being nothing, but I made a huge mistake and I, put it out on the table. Like, this is what I did. This is where I fucked up. This is what I missed. This is what I didn't see. And luckily I was surrounded by great leadership that was able to help me navigate that. And guys learn from that. And that's what we did that day. And I hope it seemed like everybody got a lot out of it. So it was a great day of training. Can't be oh, yeah, people talk about it till this day. Will. and Good. Uh, I'm not going to say you're expected to come back soon, but we hope to see you soon. I always love to get back, man. Like I, I shouldn't be here. I should be, I should be dead. And I wasn't doing very, very well there for a while, my brain health. And now that I'm functioning a little bit better, I mean, what, what better purpose is there than to share some knowledge with individuals that deserve that knowledge that want that knowledge. And it's a good purpose to have, man. It's, I, I love doing it. It's, it makes me happy. That's what you got to find when you get out as your new purpose and what makes you happy or else you're going to swaller or waller and self-doubt and your mind's going to fucking be your worst enemy. And, um, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I've noticed within the dog world, the, the, an ego is, is the biggest thing for a dog to overcome and people aren't honest and they like to lie and stuff and, and, and push dogs up where they shouldn't be moving through too fast did you see any of that within your time within, uh, you know, uh, special operations community with, with the working dogs? Did, was there people putting dogs through too fast, cut, you know, lying about shit, covering shit up or, you know, whatever you like the typical civilian dog world. Was there, was there an element of that, uh, that you ever witnessed? From basic to advanced training, Joint Forces Canine offers Arkansas's best dog training services. Whether you want to get your pet up to speed on basic obedience or are looking for more advanced training such as specific odor detection, personal protection, competition and trial prep, service dog training, and more, the professionals at Joint Forces Canine will help your dog become the best that it can be. Joint Forces Canine is veteran-owned and offers all levels of training for pets and working dogs on their 20-acre dog training facility, which includes kennels, an indoor training arena, a pro shop, technical ponds, a trial field, and an agility course. Contact us today for more information and a free evaluation. You can also learn about our boarding, grooming, and working dog sales. Joint Forces Canine, www.jointforcescanine.com or call 479-802-0775. Jointforcescanine.com, 479-802-0775. I heard about it. I heard about that dog world. Kind of one of the reasons why I try to stay out of it these days. People, like, why don't you train dogs and do all that? I'm like, well, number one, I don't have the facility. Number two, I don't have the team. Number three, there's a lot of work. I'm not going to sell shit dogs like you're saying. I'm not just going to push dogs through to use my name to sell dogs for money. It's not about that. Um, I had heard about the dog world being weird. Luckily for us, we were we were kind of our own little in our own little bubble, and we had people that we brought in that were screened if you will. So we went to Adler horse out in Ontario, California, Reavers, Mike Reaver put us through training and it's great, man. Somebody had obviously done their homework to find a good person to put us through a hammer school. And then everybody else that was brought in was screened. And sure, you know, you have your bad apples every once in a while, but we were fortunate enough to just not bring them back or guys, even for us, even as team guys, if you're not working out, you're not working out. You just kind of to go away. But I had heard about that. Um, 
we had a few dogs that were somewhat difficult to get rid of that needed to get, we needed to get rid of, but, um, we were very fortunate on, on able, being able to screen and replace people and animals that we needed to, because we were working a lot. Our job was pretty important. We didn't have, we didn't really have time to fuck around. Honestly, it, it was like, this is, this is what we're doing. We're doing it now all the time right now we don't have time for this bullshit we, we were lucky we were very fortunate that's awesome was there anything specific will that you remember about handlership that was particularly difficult for you to either comprehend or understand <laughs> everything's difficult for me to comprehend and understand Let's just be <laughs> you know, my uh i'm a pretty quiet guy i've, I've gotten better after doing all these interviews and stuff like this. So I don't seem like it, but I'm a very quiet guy. Uh, when I showed up <laughs> for training on handling a dog, this was before I even went to Adler horse. I was at the command and we we're just doing basic leash work and, you know, your voice infliction and all that shit. And <laughs> making, yeah. Let's, let's like you, the dog doesn't speak English. You gotta, you gotta show him he's doing good. So I remember being there and I'm like, I'm a seal. I <laughs> I have an ego. Every seal is a comedian. Everybody's got jokes. I mean, that's all that there is. There's like shit talkers. There's that's it, man. You know the deal. So for me to scream like a little girl, just like, so I was like, good boy, good boy. The the trainer comes over. He's like, Hey man, that ain't going to fly. Like (laughs) you need to put a little enthusiasm. (laughs) Good boy. Good boy. The dog doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, that was a, an obstacle that I had to overcome. It's like, Hey man, this dog is going to save your life. Not only from people trying to shoot you with guns, but from explosives, from houseborn IEDs, from suit, like this dog is going, you want to put a little emotion behind it. Not only save you, but he's going to save your fucking brothers, your family. Like, yep. So I went from good boy, good boy to I don't give a shit anymore. I'll take my pants off and run around and scream and yell. That dog will save my buddy's life. Like, I don't care what I have to do to get the message across. Whatever it takes to clearly communicate to that dog, please save my life. Put your ego aside. Who gives a shit? Yeah, go ahead and make fun of me all day long. It took a minute to get past that. And it's still, you know, it's not easy. It's easy to say, but right. it definitely can't. It, I don't want to die and I don't want my brothers to die. What do I need to do to, to communicate with this dog? Perfect. I can see it in his face. I can see it in his actions. It's all about reading your dog. Hey, man. And I tell all my clients, I'm like, look, I'm 6'3", covered in tattoos. But when I work with the dogs, I'm like, movement, high-pitched yep. noises are your fucking best friend to, to you know, get your dog to remain focused on you and understand what you're trying to, to tell it. So I couldn't Mm -hmm. agree more, um, to kind of pivot here to another angle. Um, where were you and with what you can share, obviously we have privacy concerns and stuff like that. But, uh, when, when you guys found out you were going down range, how, how did that look, um, for, for the big mission? Uh, yeah, it was vague. It was different. It was, um, it was a little weird. They weren't exactly told right off the bat. Like I said, they just kept it vague for a while. And then eventually we were all brought together in a room and then we were briefed. We get, we were given the official brief of who we were, who we were going after. 
And the intelligence people that stepped up to the plate and gave that brief, you can obviously tell that they dedicated their life to that. It was like, you know, kind of to the point of where like we, we going on the mission, we really didn't think we were going to make it back. We, we thought I mean, we had been in a couple, we'd been in one HBID, a houseborn ID that was they're going to explode. One of the dogs, Balto actually saved us from getting out of that HBID. We, we had a house explode that we didn't go into. We've been around so many suicide vests. I was, I was talking with a buddy of mine who had actually forgotten about a suicide vest that almost killed him. I'm like, how did you forget? We've been just like, we had seen a few. So the fact was like who we were going after and the fact of where we were going and being shot down, like we were pretty sure we're not going to make it back. Everybody was told like, just, just have your life insurance policy filled out to the max. Just, and it is what it is. It's fine. You know, and I was in my late twenties and it's like, it doesn't even matter. It's like, it's all good. It is what it is, but you know, we're not just going to do that just on a 50, 50 chance. So when the intelligence people got up there, you could just tell they put their entire life into this to the point of like, once this was over, it's like, what are y'all going to do now? Like, (laughs) what are you going to do? Like, what do you, what do you got? Like they, they definitely put in the, the work and they, they gave a very good brief and we were briefed. Um, and then when, once we were briefed, we just started rehearsing, getting ready to the best of our ability. And eventually we deployed and we got the green light and everything worked out fine. Will, can you describe, because in your book, I think you do a really good job of it. As you're going to this deployment, this, this historic deployment, uh, this mission, if you will, you said there was a sense of calmness. Right. For the average person who may think, oh, that, you know, these these operators are about to go on the biggest mission of their life. You think they'd be pumped up and going crazy. Can you describe the mood right before, you know, putting boots on the ground? We were all pumped up and we were all super happy to be chosen and be there. Don't get me wrong, everybody. But I mean, I was trying to fall asleep on the helicopter ride on the way home. I had Cairo in my lap and I'm looking at Rob O'Neill's stupid face and I'm pissed off because he <laughs> was smart enough to bring a chair and I didn't. I'm like, you <laughs> asshole. But anyways, it was just another night, man. I was literally, I, I loved all of the guys on my team. I had my family that I love back here, but I love every single one of those guys too. I was surrounded by the guys that I loved doing a job that was very important and that I loved it was just another night, man. I mean, who we were going after, don't get me wrong, we were pumped. But as long as we completed the mission, like, I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. But if we happen to die, I mean, well, there's no, there's no, I mean, we could die. We could have died the last stop. I could have died the last I mean, we've been on hundreds of offices, just like any other night, man. I hope we were able to get this done to where we just get him dead, to where it's done. Other than that, man, even if I do die, I'm like, cool, I, I die with the people that I love. Like I got Cairo in my lap and I got the guys that I love right here doing what I love to do. Like, I really, I really can't complain, man. Like, what, what, what am I going to do? Go home and die in a car wreck or right. I'm, I, I couldn't be happier. I worked my fucking ass off to get here and I get surrounded. Like, you know, I wanted to be a seal to prove to myself and get to do a cool job. And along the way, I just didn't realize the caliber of people I would be able to surround myself with the family that I would make. So for me to die with those guys, 
cool. Let's go, man. Any day. Even if they were to call me up today, I'd be like, all right, cool. Let's go. Amen, dude. I, you know, on, on, a, on somewhat of a level, I can definitely uh, understand and, and agree with that. Obviously not on your level, but um, can you kind of walk our audience through um, Cairo's actions during the, you know, the, the, that mission? Yeah, that night, Cairo um, was dual purpose, which means he was trained to go and search out bad guys. So man odor and explosive odor. So we landed on the perimeter and our first job was to do sweeps of the perimeter. We figured he would have some sort of maybe escape tunnel or some, definitely some explosives maybe to find. So we did a couple laps around the perimeter until we felt comfortable looking for, like I said, escape tunnels, any sort of, any sort of odor. I was just looking for a change of behavior for Cairo, uh, me and my security guy. Uh, Once we felt comfortable with the perimeter, we just made our way to the inside and we started methodically searching for explosives and hidden, hidden walls, anything. And just, there was a bunch of broken glass and there's some bodies. So we were trying to make our way around that. So I'd have to pick him up over the glass, try not to get him around the body. So we, I, I mainly want him to focus on explosive odor. Cause once he gets onto a bite, it's hard to switch him back. Mm-hmm. You know, they want, they want that fight more than they want that ball when they yeah. find it. So I was basically just trying to keep him focused on finding explosives because we really thought, I really thought there'd be some sort of explosives in there, but it we worked away on the second, first floor, second floor. He just, there's no hidden tunnel. He just ended up dying like a coward. He pushed the women out in front of him, of course. And he, from when I, I mean, I wasn't up there on the third floor, but it's not very surprising that he pushed his, pushed the females out in front and just died like a coward. It's crazy, man. But uh, like you said, cowards are cowards. It's not surprising that he would do something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, have the women go out and, and out in front doesn't doesn't sound like the yeah doesn't sound like the right thing to do. Well, once you get the confirmation that he's dead, what's the next course of action? Where does your mind completely switch to? Because I'm almost positive it's not you know, celebration, there's something else that needs to happen right afterwards. What, what does that like? Take us there. It was a, the only time I've ever given a high five on target. So <laughs> I was doing explosive sweeps in a room and Rob just walked in and I'm not, we don't stop. We're not, we're just talking as we're, he's doing stuff. I'm doing sweeps. I'm watching Cairo like a hawk for any change of behavior. He walks in, he goes, I think I just shot that motherfucker in the face. I'm like, yep. Okay, sure. Cool. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I believe you, but I don't believe you. It's not official. And then uh, as soon as he said that, like a couple seconds later, it comes over the radio, like Geronimo, Geronimo, like, like, Oh shit. Like it's official. Like that's it. And they're not just going to put this. this, They're not going to put that out over the radio unless it is 100%. So as soon as I heard that call, it was like, that's it, man. Like, even if we don't make it back home, it's done. Like a hundred percent. That was the first. So then that's when I like, Never done this before, ever. But I looked at Rob, he's like, holy fuck, it's done. I looked at him and we, I gave him a high five on target. I've never done that before in my life. We just happened to be standing right next to each other and he just said that. And I looked at him I'm like, that was it. And then uh, it was one quick high five and then it was right back to work. We went right back to looking at Cairo, doing sweeps, looking for more explosives and gathering up everything that we could. So just from what I've heard and studied from the, from this mission, um, you guys had a, uh, uh, an aircraft go down on the way in. So after you're wrapping up 
SSE and, and all the follow on, uh, you know, stuff that you guys do, what, was there any kind of a challenge, uh, with that happening or that had happened, um, for getting X filled from there? Dude, those guys are, those 160th pilots, snipe stalkers are legit. I fly with them anywhere, any day. Not only did they save the bird from a catastrophe, I mean, that thing, everybody on board could have died. They landed it when it lost lift in the courtyard, which worked out to everybody's advantage. Not only did he save everybody and landed as lightly as possible, that pilot goes, I'll fly that thing out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Those guys are fucking legit. (laughs) Any day I'll fly anywhere with any one of those guys. They're awesome. I'm not trying to say anything bad about other pilots, but those guys that night, they were good to go. So he not only saved that thing from turning into a catastrophe, he he nice and he landed it to where it worked out to our advantage. It made everybody inside the compound. So boom, we're already in. We unlock the door to let every, or they unlock the door to let everybody else in. And then the pilot goes, I can fly that thing out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we believe you, but we're not going to, we're not going to push our luck. Dude. I, so when uh, we were in Iraq on my first deployment, they had a dust off uh, section where they had all the army pilot uh, helos lined up. And, and, uh, kind of a uh, parallel switch to your story. These guys, dude, I think they fucking had a tracking device on me. Cause anytime we come back with food from like mid rats or something, when we were at this base, they'd fucking do, 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 come in and just dust us, dude. Hose us out. Every fucking time I went to the goddamn chow hall and came back, it didn't matter when it was, bro. They'd land right on top of us, bro. You're, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, your cover's gone. Your food's all fucked oh, up. No. Perfect. <laughs> Hope you like Sandy food. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! So hey, that's that's probably the biggest mission, you know, thus far maybe in American history. I don't know if I'm overstating that, right? That's 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 pretty legit. And I know you're a humble guy. Maybe you won't admit it, but I, I'm gonna go up and just say that's probably probably top two, right? It's incredible, incredible. The the uh, the importance of that mission means so much to so many people. Because we talked about today being 9-11 and, you know, you talked about how we were united. Well, I, I can tell you how much we celebrated here when we heard, you know, he's dead. Where, where did you get to experience that people's reaction to his death and what it meant to them? We did. We were doing our follow up after the mission was complete. So we got back to the hangar and I remember looking around once we landed. Like I said, we didn't really expect to make it back, let alone everybody made it back and guys won't talk about it, but some people got fragged. I mean, there was gunfights that happened. Guys had shrapnel in them from, from being in gunfights and everybody, mm-hmm. for the most part, like I remember looking around me like, dude, everybody's good. Everybody's here. It was pretty unbelievable. And then, so we did that and then we started doing our, just cleaning stuff up and, uh, you know, we still had a job to do drop off everything, drop off the body. And then they set up chairs for us and uh, they set up a TV. And that's like a moment I'll never forget. I remember sitting there surrounded by some of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet with bin Laden's dead body right there, Mm. watching Obama address the nation on the television. And it was, um, it's definitely one of the highlights of my life being surrounded by my brothers with his dead body right there, being able to watch that. 
So two part question for me, I, I've listened to Rob on several podcasts and interviews. Um, did somebody really lay down next to him to get a height measurement? And, um, I, I remember hearing Rob saying, Hey, the, the pilot coming over the radio calm and that pilot voice, Hey guys, welcome. You know, first time in your life, you're probably going to be glad yeah. to hear this. Welcome back to Afghanistan. What's your uh, take on that? Oh yeah, that happened. I guess somebody <laughs> forgot the tape measure, so they had to make it was pretty funny. Yeah. Obama yeah. called you guys out like you guys are the number one team in the world, and nobody thought to brought a tape measure. That's it, man. <laughs> nobody thought to bring a tape measure. Priorities, right? Come and on. Somebody had, a, somebody had a broken face, so you couldn't exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Fucking a. No, that's goes, crazy. Man. That's crazy. So one of your other, I mean, you, you alluded to it before, but the Captain Phillips mission, uh, for those who may not know about that, give us a synopsis of that whole thing. Cause that's a pretty significant uh, one as well. Let's go watch the movie. Captain Phillips. Be honest. Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? Uh, I know. Tom Hanks. Now, I didn't, I didn't really have anything to do. We jumped in with it. Uh, we jumped in. It was cool. Got to support my brothers, but I was not one of the snipers. I took the shots, but I got, some of my closest friends were some of those snipers and I got to talk with them very, I got the full on beers by the fire debrief afterwards and man hats off to those guys. Like if you're going to put yourself in that position and you want that job mm. you put out like those guys did, because when there's an American hostage on the line, those guys didn't fuck it up. They crushed it, crushed it. And I just can't say enough good things about them. They had their shit together. There's three shots on two moving boats with an American life on the line. Think about all the pressure that is three shots that have to go off at the same time on two moving platforms. And those guys had their shit so squared away, they crushed it. And not only that, they went above and beyond by getting to that boat and making sure the captain was safe. Everybody had an intricate part. And even the people on the boat with the other pilot, pilot that was hostage and getting that coordinated and all the head shed running, everything, everybody crushed it. And we, we were able to bring that captain home safely. Dude, that part in that movie when Tom Hanks is being debriefed by the nurse and he's like shaking, he can't talk like that shit brings me to fucking tears. I'm not too much, too much of an ego to admit that, but, um, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Um, you imagine being on a boat like that with those pirates for that many days, not knowing whether you're going to live or die. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane. <clears throat> and the precision, like you said, for all those things to line up absolutely perfectly. You better have your shit together. Like, if you want that job, you better put in the work. And those guys put in the work to make sure that that was a successful mission. Imagine if they didn't. Like, I'm going to skip the range this day. Or I'm like, you know, my gun might be sighted in, or my my gear might be good. Those guys are the pinnacle, the best of the best. And it's an honor to be able to call them my friends because not everybody can do that. Amen, bro. Amen. No, not at all. One one more question. Um, on on kind of on subject here, and we'll we'll pivot into something else. But what's your fondest memory of Cairo? Oh man, there's so many. That's a tough question. Um, just being, probably being able to bring him home after the Bin Laden mission and feed him filet mignon. <laughs> you fed him filet mignon? Did you cook yeah. it or was it raw? 
I think I cooked it because I didn't know any better. I could have just given it to him raw. I didn't yeah. Know any yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I've got so many fun moments. Um, so many. I miss them every day. Like I try to read my book all the time and I just can't. It's, I need to What's that? I, I didn't mean to cut you off and, and I should know the answer to this, but I don't. Um, is he still with us? He is not. No, I, he I, passed. Did he uh, was was he with Mike Ritland at his place? No, I to, huh? I got to bring him home. He 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 had he was home with me for about a year. I ended up buying a boat. I bought a motorcycle with a side, sidecar specifically for him. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Three motorcycles at the time. I did not need a fourth motorcycle. I bought that. It was ended up being it's a motorcycle with a sidecar, and it was it's the best bike I've ever bought. But I was I remember laying in bed thinking like, man, I do not need a fourth motorcycle. <laughs> it was the best thing, but I bought it specifically for him. I'd love to see a picture of him in there. It's in the book. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna yeah no I'm on it. Yep. So when you uh, when you sign books, I thought I think that's the coolest thing and. You can shout out whoever deserves the shout out, but you have a Paul print of Cairo and it goes on every signed book. Whose idea was that? And how cool? I just, I think that's such an amazing idea. I think it was my wife's Natalie's idea. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I, I can't take credit for it, but whoever thought of it, I mean, it's his book, you know, I, from the very beginning, I told everybody, I'm like, man, I really don't want to be a part of this book. Like, I, and they're like, Hey, you have to be a part of the book. Like you're the handler. Like, <laughs> You're half of the story. Like you kind of have, you have to be in the book. So shut up. <laughs> so for me, like it's his book. The I mean, even I feel bad in, still a little bit in the, for the dedication, it says for Cairo. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we had plenty of other working dogs and plenty of my friends that we lost. But this book specifically was for Cairo. It's his story. It's his book. I just happen to be a part of it. It just is what it is. So for him to put his ball print in, it means everything to me who gives a shit if i sign it it's not my book it's his book well to, to that point cairo's legacy continues to move on and forward and in so many ways and I'll, I'll kind of lead our audience to some of the things that we're involved with now just uh last week you and i were at the capitol building in austin and we met with uh with a senator in reference to a bill that we're calling uh, Cairo's protection bill and yeah, such an awesome, such an awesome name. Right. Um, and the bill is pretty simple. It is to try to get dogs in schools to prevent, um, you know, any kind of school shooting as much as we can. Right. We can't control everything. Right. But we certainly know that dogs provide a level of security that very few humans can, you know, reproduce. (laughs) Um, they can sniff out drugs, they can sniff out bombs, they can sniff out, um, you know, weapons, and they certainly can defend, you know, their home and, and their, their pack members. And this was something that um, had got brought up to me um, in reference to, hey, Steve, do you think this is a good idea? And I said, yes, but I, I want to have a good team behind this whole process. As you want me to spearhead this, I thought, um, Really simply, there was only one guy who came up to mind, and it was Will Chesney. And, uh, you know, so first off, Will, thanks for taking this mission on to keep our school safe with me. It's uh, an important thing for sure. Um, I, I would like you to kind of elaborate on why you decided to move forward with this and, um, and what it means to you. I mean, thank you for choosing me. 
Um, like we were talking about earlier, you got to have purpose these days. Like, I mean, can you really think of a better purpose than protecting our children? And I'm an, I'm a new father. I mean, even if I wasn't, it's a, I love this country and I want to protect everybody in it, especially our children. And, um, I know the value that the dogs bring to the table. And if there's one tool, like if you want me to go get in a gunfight, there's certain tools. Some are better than others. Mm-hmm. If you're going to give me a tool, a dog, not only on the preventative side, somebody sees a dog. I mean, that was one of the main roles of Cairo on the Bin Laden mission was when crowds started coming around, guess what is going to disperse those crowds as a dog. <laughs> a dog can be a great preventative tool. And if not, if you want to play that game, then the dog will fuck you up as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen it. Seen it overseas. I'm sure y'all have seen it plenty of times too. Once that dog gets on the bite, good luck. Because good luck. Mm-hmm. He's going to get you. And even if you do end up shooting that dog, well, you're going to be hurt. And somebody, somebody's going to be right behind that dog to clean you up. Yep. So we can't think of a better cause to get behind. Like I said, we got to have a purpose these days. I lost my purpose for a long time. I went through a, a rough patch and I'm, I'm still working. You know, I'm not, I'm still not perfect. I'm just working through my demons as well, but it'd be an honor to be able to help it, protect our children. Of course. I uh, <clears throat> couldn't agree more on, on that and finding the purpose and, I've gone through dark periods. Um, that this is my last dog, my service dogs, paw print. It's right here, next to every um, podcast that I do. Um, What's his name? Jax. Jax. Yeah, Jax was a badass. I lost him. He was seven or eight to cancer. Um, yeah. Went all over the world with me, but uh, just to share a funny story to kind of throw some uh, like a comedic uh, turn into here. So my my wife is from Costa Rica, and we had a three-year period where she couldn't come to this country after we were married because of bullshit. So I, I would travel down to Costa Rica. I would fly with Jackson, the plane at my feet, you know, uh, big giant vest, you know, working dog, do not pet, whatever. So my wife and I decided, Hey, we're going to rent a car. We're going to drive over to this beach. Right. So Costa Rica is kind of shaped like this with the body water in the middle. And we were going to go from here all the way up and around and it was going to take like eight or nine hours. So you take a ferry, right? So you go from here to here. So we get in the ferry. I don't know if either of you guys have been in a ferry, but they fucking park you in the bottom, like a well deck, like imagine all the tracks or tanks parked. We were all the way to the left, dude. I could barely open my door to get out. And, um, I'll pull up a picture here and show you. Jax, Jax was an intimidating motherfucker, man. He was a dark sable shepherd and he was a serious dog. But like so clear headed. So once in a lifetime dog, he could go into a preschool. Kids could mob him. Great. But you put, put him in bite work, dude, different story. And, um, so very serious dog. I got a reflection, but gorgeous dog. So we, uh, me and my wife can get out of the car. I get the dog with me. We're in Costa Rica. Service dog doesn't mean shit down there. Like it means in America, this guy's like, no, he's talking to my wife. She's like, you can't, we can't bring the dog. You know, he's got to stay in the car. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yo tango epilepsia, uh, uh, as me, uh, servicio de perro or whatever, just bullshit. And they were like, nope, nope, nope. And I got pissed. I was like, if my fucking dog dies from the heat, I'm going to kill you. My wife's like, Steven, stop. So leave the dog in the car. I'm all the way up against the left wall, this well deck. 
tiny. This dude's a fat bastard, right? <laughs> so they call for the drivers to come back down to the vehicle because we're docking and everybody else uh, off boards or whatever the fuck you call it, egresses off the ship or whatever on foot. Drivers drive out, pick a person up. So I got Jackson in the back seat, dude, and this dog had the deepest, most ferocious bark you would ever like. Oh, it's just terrifying, right? So he's in the back seat. I look in my side view mirror. I see this fat fuck squeezing through the cars behind me, like squeezing by. Dude, he gets right by the back window, and Jax was like, bah, 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 bah. "This dude like screamed like a girl, ran forward, <laughs> folded my mirror back, and uh, yeah, it was just a great karma moment for me. But it was funny as shit. So to Hopefully your, too. <laughs> I, I hope so. But to your point about the presence of the dogs, dude, I couldn't agree more. People would cross the street when we were walking with with Jax, like he's a shark or something, but. Yep. It also brings, you know, maybe a little bit of peace to the kids, you know, seeing a dog, a protection dog, it can be a little bit more peace being like, all right, that dog's here to protect me. Especially yeah. if, it, if it's a social dog and the kids can pet it and build a relationship with it and, and then, you know, see yeah. demonstrations of what the dog's capable of. Like, hey, we got you guys, man. I think I think what you guys are doing is huge. And Stephen, I'm going to pass it over to you if you want to kind of elaborate on what you guys talked about with the senator or what this program means. And that's not the only thing that it can do either. It can provide other services as well. So it's a it's just multiple levels. But yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, and you're right, uh, Sway, by saying um, you know you need the right dog, mm-hmm. a, a dog that's going to be socially inviting to young children, clear who has clear headed who has a threshold of pain that's higher than most dogs, who's not going to be reactive when a kid steps on his tail or steps on his paw, or if you're in a special needs class and it gets pet a little difficultly, like really hard or something like that. We've seen that happen. We, and there's just not a million dogs out there that have that temperament. And that's a conversation that Will and I have is if we're going to spearhead this thing, we want to do it right. We want to make sure we're getting the right type of dog in these schools and that the mission is clear we want to prevent these things from happening. And the presence of the dog alone, we really truly believe that that's going to deter a lot of these shootings from happening. And then if they do happen, God forbid it does, or we hope that these dogs are going to be taking the appropriate action. And um, if we do this and we save one kid's life, just one, it's worth every single second that we have talked in developing this program and moving it forward. For sure. um, but there's there's a lot of uh, shady um, – People in the private sector trying to sell a product that I, I just on the surface I'm looking at and I'm thinking, man, you're just trying to make money off the idea of, of uh, Uvalde or other school shootings that have happened, and they're 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 pushing a product that I don't believe is safe and I don't believe is 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 correct. And we're still at the drawing board, right? We're still trying to figure out how we're going to get this done. But one thing is for sure, we're going to get it right, even if it takes time. We're going to make sure that we do get it right. And um, yeah, Will, do you, do you want to elaborate on that any, any further? No, I think you hit it right on the head. Not only a deterrent, but we need the right team to put together to make sure we're putting out the right product where everybody in the school will feel safe. The parents will feel safe. The kids will feel safe. Um, teachers will feel safe. And um, unfortunately, what happened recently, if, people don't want to go down the hallway because they don't have the right training or they're just not willing to, you know, who will mm-hmm. let the dog go. That dog won't hesitate if it's the right product. And like you said, we're not going to put our name behind the wrong product. And if 
Yeah, that just won't happen. The dog will go down the hallway and the dog will engage the shooter if nobody else wants to. So <clears throat> just <laughs> school shootings have been happening since the 90s, right? And we, we all seen that we just sent Ukraine $50 billion, whatever. Do you guys see any challenges on the political side of this sphere of we could have put a fucking armed guard, a dog, et cetera, on these properties? Um, what's, what's y'all's take on that? I'll let you take that first, Will. The only problem I see is just people, the lack of knowledge. I just don't think people really know the services the dogs provide, not only in the military, but in, in law enforcement and the, what they can provide for schools. I mean, there's search and rescue dogs that provide services. There's therapy dogs that provide services. I just don't, I just don't think a lot of people understand that the value, the, a proper, the value a properly trained dog can really bring to the table, but it has to be the properly trained, right, selected dog. I just don't think people understand the value. And like if I, I, from being in the teams, we would just go to the best in the world on our training. Like we don't have time to mess around. I like getting the biggest bang for my buck. Like the, what's the best tool out of all these tools. And I truly believe like if you're giving me a plethora of tools to choose from having a canine is a hundred percent. One of those tools on multiple levels on the deterrence level, on the odor side, finding stuff on engaging a suspect on multiple levels. And there, as of now, unless you can tell me of a better tool in my mind, and I know I'm biased because, but I've seen it real world scenarios. I've seen it over and over again. That's like in the team room, raise your hand. If a dog's ever saved your life, everybody's hand went up. Everybody. I'm like, yep. Yep. That's the value. We never went out on a mission without a dog except for the Captain Phillips mission, because that didn't really make sense. Other than that, we had to dog every single mission, at least one. That's what they bring to the table. So I'm all about getting the best bang for my buck. And if you want to provide security, sure, you can have a half-assed armed guard that you can hire personal security, or you can have a legit law enforcement officer with a canine or just a law enforcement officer that is well-trained. You can have a shit security guard. You can have a well-trained law enforcement officer or you can have a well-trained law enforcement officer with the canine and that is going to stop a school shooter like that's that's what i would choose like yes give me that right there yep and just to be clear like i said we're kind of at the drawing board phase of it we're trying to get um some support for what we're trying to accomplish here and funding is always the hardest thing right um Send, uh, Governor Abbott uh, released some funds for school safety and, you know, SR, it's going to pay for SROs and so school, school-based law enforcement officers and schools, which is great. Um, but, you know, to Will's point, we know how these dogs are going to perform under pressure. It becomes almost instinctual, a reflex. We know how they're going to perform. I don't know how many times we can, as law enforcement officer, we can do what we call alert training, right? Which is like the active shooter training here. And we do, you know, foundational work first. We get the understanding of um, everything that we're trying to accomplish. And then we go and we kind of go through the the motions and the formations. And then we start to apply um, simunitions. And this is when you see things really change, right? The, the introduction of simunitions. And I think, Will, you, you talked about 
simunitions being part of your training and how that that was a game changer for you guys. Sure. But I can see on my side, on the law enforcement side, when people are shooting back at you, the way that you react may be different than the way you thought you would react. And I'm not trying to talk negatively about Uvalde. I'm just saying right. with a dog, you don't have that problem because you've trained it a thousand times. It becomes instinctually like a reaction that the dog knows exactly what the job is and does it to its full potential. Take it away, Will. Yeah, no. And not only that, it takes a lot to, a lot of training and effort to put into these dogs to get to that caliber. So the confidence that will, it will not only give the officer to have that tool out in front, knowing that he might take bullets for him, but it's also his, it's his family. That's his partner. Yeah. He's going to go. It's going to help get his ass down the line too. He's not just going to, you know, unless he has to sacrifice his dog, which hopefully it never comes to that. That, right. that officer's not going to hesitate. He's going to get in behind that dog mm. and it's going to be such a good team. And with that, with that kind, with the right trained dog going after that, and then with an officer right behind him, I mean, most of these school shooters, let's be honest, they're fucking turds. Like you're a fucking loser. You really are. They ain't take much to get rid of the fucking turd. Yep. So with a well-trained officer and a well-trained canine, you can clean that shit up real quick. Shit, I agree. I actually have a funny sim round story. So uh, I got a new wedding band, but uh, before this, uh, I was down with my buddy's a canine handler, and uh, I was like, hey, man, I got my suit. Let's let's do some work. So I go down. They were like, hey, do you mind being op for? And I was like, no, that's great. And they give me the sim helmet. And an airsoft. And then they were like, all right. So the SWAT guys were in uh, their ballistic helmets and just glasses. So they're like, just try and shoot them in the arms and legs. And I was like, I'll I'll try. And uh, I was behind like a 90 degree wall. They said, when you hear the door breach, count to two Mississippi, turn the corner, start engaging. And uh, turn turn the corner, started engaging. Fucking shot my ring off, dude. It shattered my (laughs) ring through my gloves, embedded it into my finger. And then I heard, no face shots, no face shots. It's like, dude, I'm a Marine, bro. Like, I'm trained. Like, you know, sorry to, sorry to bust your bubble there. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you guys are trying to do. And shit, that's a, that's a cause that every American should, should be able to stand behind. So if I can help in any way, you know, getting, getting stuff out there, um, please, please let me know. But, um, Kind of starting to wind down here, Will. Um, why don't you, I know we've already talked about it, but just so it's uh, black and white for everybody, why don't you tell everybody what your book is? Um, you know, if anybody wants to get in contact with you and, and you care to share any kind of information like that, just uh, let everybody know um, what you got going on and how they can find you. Yeah, the book is called No Ordinary Dog, My Partner from the SEAL Teams to the Bin Laden Raid. And it is on my book, or it's on my dog, Cairo, who, um, he was my canine partner throughout the teams and we were able to go on the Bin Laden mission mission together. He was the only dog on the Bin Laden mission. So that's, that, that basically sums up the book. And then, um, all the foundations that I tried to help out with, there's a lot of traumatic brain injury in all of our communities. So I try to support that as long as, as well as other dog foundations. Like uh, Mike Ritland has the Warrior Dog Foundation. Try to support him. And Jimmy Hatch has Spike's Canine Fund. He supports a lot of law enforcement. And uh, on the traumatic brain injury side or the TBI side, there's the Warrior Health Foundation. We've been doing a lot of work with them. And there's a lot of great foundations out there. I mean, there's guys committing suicide, and there's no, there's no reason for that. So 
I mean, I was in the same bubble. I, um, I was drinking myself to death. I was 250 plus pounds. Just literally, I was too much of a coward to stick a gun in my mouth. So I was drinking myself to death. And, um, luckily I was surrounded by people that love me and I was able to somewhat dig myself out of that hole and I'm still digging my way out, but there's good foundations and there's great people out there that are willing to help. So if you find yourself in a bad situation, just start reaching out. It wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy process and it told, took multiple different approaches and different foundations and different modalities, if you will. And it was not a quick fix all, but um, if you just stick at it, you can slowly start to dig your way back out of it. And I mean, life's hard, man. You can't all be good. It's like the yin and the yang. You can't know the good unless you've seen the bad. So for some reason, it has to happen. We're all going to have low points in our life, but that doesn't mean it ain't going to get better because it can. It gives you purpose. Find that purpose. Dig yourself out of that hole. Make yourself useful. Ask for help because there's great people that have been in that situation that are willing to help you. It gives them purpose. And then you feed off that energy and you help other people. And um, like I said, we've been pretty divided, it seems, lately. So I don't. I think that's a bunch of shit. I think we should all come together and help each other out. There's enough evil in this world. There doesn't need to be any more. There needs to be a bunch of good guys coming together to get rid of evil. If you know what I mean? So I've had Dan Cirillo on here. Are you, do you know Taco? Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. He, he's, uh, I actually had him on and the second time we like really connected and went real deep. You know, um, I'm supposed to go through the, uh, go down to Mexico with, uh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the doctor's name, but um, go through the, uh, you know, the psychedelic treatment and stuff like that. Have you done that? Have you thought about doing that? What are your thoughts on that? Great modality. And so um, I said, there's guys killing themselves these days. I don't think anybody should do that. I think I went through a whole bunch of different treatment processes and everybody's different. Like, you know, everybody's at a different stage in their life. And I think there's ways to ease your, ease your way into that one, maybe, but there's other, there's the transcranial magnetic stimulation. There's meditating. There's diet. There's test checking your testosterone levels, so getting your blood work done. There's I know it all sounds a lot like hippie woo woo stuff, <laughs> but everybody's at a different point in their life. And maybe a psychedelic treatment is it. The way I see it, I mean, it could be the apple that fell from the tree that you're not supposed to touch. Or I mean, I don't see it that way. I mean, if there's if there's there's a guy that's gonna kill himself, or there's a guy that's not being there for his family that he loves. Maybe trying this treatment and having the right process beforehand and after, it can literally change the trajectory of your life. I mean, before you go and, and do something really bad, maybe just that's a, that's a modality that you, you should definitely look at. And it's not for everybody. I'm not saying that at all. There's plenty of other modalities to look at, but that's definitely one. Before you take your own life, let's, um, let's look at that for a second. Yeah, right on. And uh, we were supposed to do a podcast a while ago, Sway and I, and just a couple of days before, one of my good friends had committed suicide, mm -hmm. and he was in our dog group. And of course, none of us see that stuff coming. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I look back, and you second guess everything uh, that he said, or text, or said, and you're looking for an opportunity for you to be like, man, I missed something. There was something there that I could have done as, as a mm -hmm. friend, as someone who loved, uh, who loved him. Um, 
you know, so instead of getting into the dog stuff, we, we spent a lot of time that podcast just talking about mental health yeah. and some of the avenues. So I'm glad you brought up all of those great resources. Um, I'll bring up the one that I did before the code nine project and what the code nine project does. This is not only for law enforcement, but for military too. It's a hotline of guys who are like us, who have been in the military, who have been in law enforcement, who have seen stuff, who have been through friends committing suicide, who are have been trained to to help us go through some of that stuff, but also can just be a friend when you need a friend. When when it's three in the morning and you don't want to wake up anybody because it's three in the morning, you're going to call this number and there's going to be someone who wherever he's at, it's not three in the morning, who's going to be able to help you and give you everything that you need to get through that process and to move forward. And not only that, to give you resources moving on. It's not just a phone call. Okay. I hope you do well. It's foundationally giving you something to, uh, to hold accountable and to move forward and and to have those pieces continue forward. So I'm a huge proponent for the code nine project. Um, Brandy Lee, if you're, you're listening to here, I'll shout her out. She's the, the owner and the person who runs everything. So, um, you know, I've known about the Code 9 project for a long time, but this was the first time I was in a seat where I needed to reach out and talk to somebody about this stuff because that stuff can eat you alive, man. Yeah, man. And it always starts off like, ah, it's not a big deal. And then you do things that are uncharacteristic of, of yourself. And then your wife starts to say, hey, what's going on? And you minimize it. It's like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's just a beer. It's just alcohol. It's not a big deal. It's my day off or I don't have to work in, in 12 hours. And then it snowballs. And then you look in the mirror one day and it's like, I don't, this is not me. This is not who I want to represent. This is not um, who I am. Um, and I know you probably have a lot of stories. We all, we all do. Um, but I just wanted to share the Code 9 project because it's, it's something near and dear to my heart. And I, I think it's important that we we give those resources out, those free resources, by the way. Thank you for doing that because I can say that and reach out. But the people are probably hear me like, what do you mean? Who do I reach out to? Where do I even start? So thank you for doing that. And I know exactly what you mean when I'm operating and a lot of guys, like I remember hearing about people talking about this and I'm operating, I'm working. I worked hard to get here. I'm not going anywhere. I remember being in muster and I had hair falling out in huge clumps, huge clumps, alopecia. And I didn't give a shit. It was after the death of some of my best friends and it happened Mm -hmm. twice. It's after that one of the helicopter crashes and after one of my best friends, I don't know how I'm not that smart, but I can figure out. My hair was falling out from stress from the deaths of my friends. And, you know, yeah. what? people were poking my bald spot in mustard with my comb over. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. We're working. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. When's the next appointment? Like, so I, I literally, my fingernails were falling out and my hair was falling out. And I'm sitting there talking to the psychiatrist, pounding two or three monsters, being like, dude, I'm good, man. Let's go overseas and get it. Like, I'm, I'm no. Taking a look back at that, like, I, I, so I, I get and if you're an operator, or even if you're a first responder, and you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. So yes, and that's a good resource. You're like, man, just take a like a three D, like a big picture view of what's going on. Because I look back at it and I didn't see it, and my fucking hair was falling out in big mm-hmm. clumps. I was like, no, I'm good. So yeah, man, and thank you for 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 actually giving out a resource people can reach out to. Because I can say reach out, and they're like, I don't know who to reach out to, so I'm not. So. Perfect. I th- I think with all of us and our background and, and the, the, the cloth that we were cut from compartmentalizing is a skill that we all learn unconsciously, right? Like all this shit happens. We just fucking suppress it. But like um, Dan Cirillo said, traumas 
it's like wearing a backpack and then every time something happens, you add a brick to it. And then eventually you get to that tipping point and, and that's where, that's where the problem is. But I, I appreciate both of you guys for speaking honestly about it because there's a stigma in all of our communities. Like you can't talk about this shit. Like if you do, you're a pussy, you know, people don't trust you anymore. Um, you know, so it's definitely important to have these conversations. Um, and, and with that, Will, I, I have one last question for you. Do you have any regrets from your time in the service? No, man, that's it. No drinking too much and not, but like you said, I just, I was dealing with my own trauma and that, that whole brick in the backpack and guys just don't see it, but I, I get it. And when I did that treatment, it was literally like somebody, like somebody unplugged me from the matrix mm. and everything, all the weight was lifted off of my shoulders. And we just, over time, it's like boiling a frog in the water slowly, right? You just don't realize it. You don't, right. know, you don't, I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden when all that weight is gone and your ego is gone for a second, you're like, where the fuck have I been? And you just don't see it. And people can judge all they want. And, you know, you're not supposed to write a book. So, so guys in the teams might not like me for writing a book and it's fine. Like I might not. No, not, not you, not you. <laughs> they, they, um, they, I'd rather be hated now. And then when that guy needs help, cause I, I was in the same boat, man. I didn't like the whole book writing process, but now when that guy might need a hand and he might not see it now, but later on down the road and he's in a bad spot, you're like, come on, brother. We got you. Because yeah, it's an important piece of literature. It's an important piece of history. Um, well, I had an opportunity to work with you now a couple times and get to know you. Um, I appreciate your humbleness and your service to our country. Um, it, it's funny. Just recently, we went to the Capitol. It was both our first time going there, and I learned a couple things about Will. Um, he he loves Texas history. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> He, he loves Texas history. And uh, so, I mean, the Capitol is absolutely gorgeous. If you've never been to the Texas Capitol in Austin, I, I, I highly recommend you go. There's so much history and it's preserved so yeah. well. Everything yes. from the doorknobs to the hinges are the original um, when it was built. So yeah. amazing story. Um, the artwork, um, just everything is really stunning. It goes back in time. And this is a huge, huge building. But Will also has a, a very good act of also finding a once in a million thing. There's a, there's like heart, there's hearts all over uh, the ground. And, and, and I don't know what they're supposed to represent. I really don't know. And I don't want to disrespect anybody. But there's probably, I don't know, a hundred of them. And Will found the one in the shape of a penis. <laughs> and this you know, I know I used to be a sailor, right? I can spot a dick from anywhere. <laughs> this was on our way to the meeting, like the most important meeting that we've ever had with a senator. And Will hey, points out the one penis in the whole place that you can find. <laughs> that's a special skill there, Will, and uh, I do yeah. appreciate it. It, it definitely lighten up the mood. That's called attention to detail, man. And uh, I would expect nothing less from a Navy SEAL. I like it exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to be professional, and all I can think is like, Stephen, look at this. Stephen, look at this. Well, what? Yeah, that's just the beginning. You know what happened later on that night when we were doing the meeting? You're like, oh my like, god, there, hop up on your lap in front of all the important people oh, in the meeting. So, somebody, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> somebody started getting humped in the middle of the meeting, and it was yeah. That might have been, I brought my dog. 
Yeah. And he's supposed to be like the the example of a very well trained, uh, very socialized dog. And you know, <laughs> the first meeting he does great; he's doing fantastic. The second meeting, he there was two ladies there who we met, and he must have just did not like the fact that I wouldn't allow to like go over there and, and have them pet him. Cause they didn't seem really interested. They were like all about business, but they must've smelled really good or something. Cause when I call him back, he came up on me and started to hump me in front of him. <laughs> Cairo still humps me at least two to four times a week. I got to go. I'm trying, I'm trying to be professional here and my dog is <laughs> humping me. Yeah. And Will, I see Will to the corner of my eye. I think you just you just got a glimpse of it. Yeah. And like I can't help it. I'm just like, you know, fooey and I push him off. <laughs> right, be professional. Be professional. Anywhere else, it would have been game on. Yeah. And the girls, the girls didn't bat an eye. There's no way they missed it. They definitely saw it, but they didn't address it. Yeah. It was pretty so, epic. So we get out on the and freaking Will's like. Was your dog humping you? <laughs> yeah, he was. So, was your dog humping you during that meeting? I'm pretty sure he was. It's like, hey, the, I think that really went well. Hey, was your dog humping you? Yeah. <laughs> no, we were doing obedience, bro. <laughs> oh. Oh, Just let him finish. That's what I want. Yeah. Just let him finish. It's always the worst place and the worst time, dude. It never fails. Oh. Never fails. <laughs> So what'd you do at the Capitol today? Well, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, my yeah. dog fucked me. You know, the, pro- <laughs> the problem with this is I didn't tell my wife that story, and Uh-oh. she's going to listen to this podcast. So she's going to have a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what my God. Oh. Well, hey, Will, thank you for being on with us. I, I, I appreciate your friendship. Uh, you know, I love you, bro. Um, this is a really important thing I think we're doing, and I hope hopefully we get the support that we need to, to move forward. Um, Absolutely. But, wait, I don't want to speak Absolutely. on your behalf. I know you wanted to close this out. Yeah, no, yeah. For, for sure. Well, uh, especially on a day today and, you know, I was scrolling through my Facebook earlier and I noticed like how many fucking people weren't acknowledging what today is. And we promised that we'd never forget. Mm-hmm. And some of us gave an oath to the country and the constitution and our people with our life and limbs. So sharing, sharing today, I'm sorry, I'm getting chills here. I'm <clears throat> not, not to be a little bitch, but, uh, Sharing it with guys like you, man, this really means a lot to me. Um, thank you for taking the time and being open and, and uh, honest. And uh, I, at some point in the near future, I'm going to be coming down to Texas to uh, hang out with Steve and love to go uh, meet up with Neil from Mike's place. He actually worked with my dog a little bit uh, a few months ago. But, uh, man, maybe if we can plan it out, we can cross paths. I'd love to sit around the fire and uh, meet you in person, brother. Let's make it happen. I appreciate y'all taking the time and having me on. and. Great, great conversation. Oh, yeah, Much absolutely. And we'll definitely do it again, too. So um, with yeah. that being said, Stephen, you got anything in closing? No. Nah, um, you know, thanks again for you guys, for your service. Both of you uh, served in the military, and I didn't. Um, and so I always want to acknowledge I wasn't brave enough to do it at 18. I feel like, uh, you know, I have so much respect for the guys who took that that leap and did it. So to do it at the highest levels, um, it's just I'm an, uh, I'm not only just a fan of Will Chesney, I just uh, respect the, all the things you've done for this country and really look up to uh, the sacrifices that you made. And that, that goes to both of you. So I appreciate both of you. Thank you for your service back here, brother. Thank, Thank you. Man. Thanks for shouting out to Crayon Eaters. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, guys, y'all stay safe. Have a good one. My phone's always on if you guys need anything. So same. All right. Have a good one, fellas. See you. Thank you for tuning in to the Dogs of War. <laughs>